Welcome this morning. I'm glad you're here. Let's go right to, this is our theme for the year, Pressing On. And I'm going to talk to you about managing your money for the kingdom of God. Now that may sound kind of unusual, but take your Bible, let's go to um, Matthew 6.33 first. Matthew 6.33 and then we'll go to Psalm 37. Would you stand with me? This was our memory verse, main memory verse last year, but Matthew 6.33 and then I'll tell you where to go after that. First book of the New Testament, stand as we read aloud together, <clears throat> Matthew 6 and verse 33. You found it? Oh good, you have a Bible, that's nice. Matthew 6.33, let's say it together, ready? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Two key words there, we're just reading one verse at the moment, two key words, first and things. Do you see that? Seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that you think you need and probably more than you ever imagined you need will be added to you. Now go to another verse, Psalm 37, in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 21. Notice what Solomon, this is David, sorry, here contrasts. He says, the wicked, well, they can borrow and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy, and what does he do with his money? He gives. Now, a liberal politician, I know you're standing, but give me just one second. A liberal politician is always claiming to be able to give money away. But guess whose money he's giving away? Our money. So he's not, or she's not really liberal in the Bible sense, and really not a giver at all. They're thieves. But when you have money that you can give, it is good. And so let's talk about how Christians should have money to be able to give away. Father, bless our thoughts that we're going to really be constrained to God. I, we, we don't think about money. We just spend usually more than we get in. And Lord, it's, a, it's wrong to live in debt. And it's wrong for us to forget that we were saved to be givers. So Lord, I pray that you teach us how to manage our finances for a better kingdom than this one. Help us to manage our finances for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be all right, so February is our financial stewardship month this year. I want to talk to you about financial freedom. There is a freedom that a lot of Christians don't know about, all right? It's a freedom from covetousness. Uh, the new iPhone comes out, and you can see the drool coming down from 20-something olds. Uh, the new, you know... Uh, 201s and then the 202 cars and there's just there's just a bondage and people don't realize they think it's fun they think buying the new gadget uh, uh, upgrading to the next car and listen if you got money you can do whatever you want with it but there are too many people who don't have money and yet they have to have things and that is covetousness and there is a bondage in it the Bible says covetousness is idolatry because you are worshiping that item as an idol instead of worshiping God. So there's a freedom, I want to talk to you about that, that, is, that 
that gets you free from financial debt, where you're not paying off a credit card for the last six years, you're not paying off uh, car loans haphazardly, you're not, you're not seeking payday loans. They used to call them shark loans. You don't want to do that. There's a freedom from worry about money. And there are people who worry about money. And I understand. They've had hard times and they wonder, am I going to have enough money? Am I, can, can I afford the kids' clothes this next uh, uh, semester, so on and so forth? But I'm going to get you to the place, I hope. I'll give you some principles. I can't give you everything. There are people who are very good at this. I'm just going to give you some Bible stuff to get you convicted about getting your finances in line, and then you can get all kinds of good resources to help you. But the goal is to give you a freedom to be able to give money away and not to have a second thought about it. It is part of learning to trust in God's ways. Do you remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. You know, if God has your heart, He has your wallet. It's very hard for us to connect the two and realize they're subservient. But trust in the Lord. Um, and, and, and if you get to it, you say, Lord, you want me to give this amount away to somebody? Good. I, I'll trust you for it to come back to me in another way. That is the way to live. Because if you do not master your spending, the devil will. Proverbs 22, 7 says, you're in Psalms, go to Proverbs. We're going to do some scriptures to, uh, this morning. Proverbs 22, and I, some of you weren't here for the announcements. Please. Tonight we have a missionary coming. He's a missionary to Romania. He's been in Romania. And I know him. He's, a, he's, a, he's an interesting fellow. Uh, but I'd like, to, I'd like you to hear him. I'd like you to hear his heart. You need to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. <clears throat> and let me tell you, I'm going to ask you to give some money tonight so that we can give him a love offering. Um, so, But look at Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich ruleth over the what? Ain't that the truth? And the borrower is servant to the lender. You do whatever your creditor tells you to do. Uh, you can't just walk away from a debt. Now, if you don't master your spending, the devil will. How many of you, if you thought about it, could count up all the wasted years of all the money you've gotten and it just went down the toilet. Think of all the money you spent on smoking if you smoked. Do you know a pack of cigarettes right now is between 12 to 16 euros a pack. And with people who smoke one, uh, one pack a day, and there are plenty of them, that's 4,400 euros a year. People in social welfare start at about 11,000 euros a year. 4,400 of it on cigarettes? You say it's impossible. No, people do that. They smoke instead of eat. They smoke instead of taking care of their, their kids and their grandkids. How about drink? Do you know if you average 20 euros a week, and you shouldn't, uh, uh, on your pints, that's 1,000 euros a year down the toilet, literally. Gambling? I'm getting all these from the, uh, from the Irish uh, government websites. There are approximately, there is approximately 10,000 euros per minute spent on lotto tickets and gambling every day in Ireland. That blew my mind. Ireland has the third highest per capita rating in the world for losses in gambling. Last year, Ireland, Ireland's losses from gambling totaled up to be over 2.1 billion. What does that mean? Suckers went 
and gave the government 2.1 billion euros out of their pockets, away from their kids, away from their holidays. I'm telling you, throwing away. That's you know that that 2.1 billion euros is 470 euros for every man, woman, and child that they just give away. I would, if you are spending money on gambling, can I have your 470 euros, please? Because if every man, woman, and child is, they're not, but if they took all of the money that is wasted every year, and if everybody was participating and losing 470, wouldn't you say we ought to stop? Okay, so the devil seems to be in charge of this kingdom's finances. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2. You say, Pastor, just a little, uh, a little lotto ticket here and there is not so bad. Why do you want to justify even throwing money away? Why would you throw money away and then complain about a pastor talking about giving to missions? Yeah, boy. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 2, in verse 1, do you know what the devil's got? He's got the money in the cults, too. The religious intake of money is astronomical. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false... What's the next word? Okay, those are religious people, people who claim to be able to tell the, for, you know, the future. But there were false prophets also among people, the people in the Old Testament, even as there shall be false teachers, even among you, who privily, they're very clandestinely, very privately shall bring in damnable heresies. So come along and say, you know, I don't agree with the pastor there. I think it's this. You know, no, no problem talking about the Bible. But when people come in and they start bringing in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and they bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. It's not a few. People get snookered by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through what? Watch what religions do through covetous. They know people are covetous. Shall they with feigned words, that's fake news, make merchandise of who? Make merchandise of you. They make money off of you. Whose judgment now is a long time, lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. The devil... Is, is, is managing the money for most people, taking their money, giving their money to, um, uh, what are these groups? Um, Scientology, uh, the amount of money that people have to pay to be part of that group, amount of money that people make uh, uh, in, in the religious groups. You just look here and you go, wow, that is not Christ. And you know that. Now, the ex opposite extreme is not that nobody's supposed to have any money at all. That's not the point. But religions, gambling, drink, smoking, the devil's got all the money coming out of everybody's pockets. And then they'll complain when they come to church and go, well, there he is talking about money. <laughs> Haggai. Middle of your Bible, uh, actually not. Uh, go to Matthew and then go left and find a little book called Haggai. <clears throat> Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, in verse 5. Now, Haggai was a prophet who was in the midst of people who pretty well were, they were building their houses, their economy was going well, um, uh, crops were producing fruit, 
Families were happy. Shopping centers were being built. Not really, but anyway, things were just going really honky-dory, but they forgot God. Everything else was being paid for except the house of God. And I need you to look. They're in chapter 1, Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is not the preacher talking. I'm never going to beg you for money, but listen to God. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, you planted much, you worked hard, and yet bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put into a bag with holes. You get home and it doesn't have all the money in that you started out with. Listen, who's, who's robbing us? The one who's in charge of our finances. When God wants to bless us, we forget we've given the devil charge over our finances. This morning, I want to teach you about earning money. I want to teach you about spending it wisely, making sure you make the gospel part of your, your budget. Because we're so interested in trying to save back money for the holiday, and that's a good thing. We're supposed to save back money for the school uniform. We're supposed to save back money for uh, upcoming expenses. But there are too few who say, Lord, the gospel is supposed to be part of my budget. Because I don't want the devil using my money for his kingdom anymore. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So, way of background, I want to start off <clears throat> and say... Uh, what do people normally spend their money on? And this is a short list. I could list everything, don't, don't, but look at the normal list, okay? Most people spend their money on their rent, mortgage, transportation, whether it's by bus or car or moped or any kind of thing like that. People spend money on health insurance. Some people don't. People spend money on groceries, gym membership, uh, entertainment. You know, I don't need that. Uh, entertainment, car loans, savings, your electricity, credit card repayments, bank charges, clothing, eating out, your child's school needs, car repairs, heating oil or gas, mobile phones, internet, your pension, health care, and beauty products. <laughs> Do you know there's not any mention in any one of the lists that I saw of taxes? When we usually talk about our budget, we usually forget. We only budget the money that the government allows us to have. Have you ever, have you ever analyzed that? Have you ever thought about that? You never realize how much money the, the, uh, uh, the company that you're working for, the business or whatever, uh, actually paid you versus how much you went home with. Hmm. If you have 35000 per year or less, one-fifth of that money, 20% of it, got taken away by the government, stolen taken away by the government, and you walk away with what's left over, and we're usually happy with it. Uh, if, you, um, if you make uh, anything above 35000 the rest of that's taken 40% off, they just really start taking their money. But usually when we used to come home with our pay packet, that's all we think about budgeting. There's one other thing that's forgotten in most people's budget. What is it? Tithe. It's funny how that's rarely thought about. You see, what we do with our money matters to God, and it matters to us. Because, listen, God honors us when we honor Him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you. Not all the things, 
not going to be some spoiled brat, but all the things that you worry about, all the things that you think you need, God takes care of. All right. So where is God in your spending is what I want to ask you. Because I can teach you all about how to manage your budget. I can teach you all about what to do. And I, and I wouldn't be very good at it, but I'm going to tell you, I just want to ask some probing questions about if somebody asked me if I was saved, could they tell by how I spend? Or does God have any authority in my wallet? We are stewards of the kingdom of God. We are responsible here for carrying out the kingdom duties. Everybody, everybody is concerned about being stewards of the environment. Greta Thunberg. We, how dare you? We are supposed to be good managers of this environment. I agree with that. We should manage our environment. Uh, I really am glad when I'm driving down the road, I don't see anybody drinking milk and then throwing it right out the window like it was when I was a kid. People used to trash everything out the window of their cars. How many of you remember that kind of stuff? I'm glad that there's litter fines. I'm glad that there's constraints on people and they get the idea we got to take care of our environment. Everybody believes it's important to be good stewards of our health, too. So people, you find them, they're working out. Um, they're trying to eat healthy, not succeeding, but they're trying because they want to be a steward of their health. But we Christians are responsible for a whole lot more than that. We're responsible for the entire world hearing the gospel. Do you know that? We are. We're responsible for starting Bible-leaving churches everywhere. We're responsible for each other. One person in this church going through a hard time, we're all supposed to come to their help. That's a church. We're responsible. We shouldn't go up to them, pat them on the back, and say, hey, why don't you apply for another entitlement? No. We're supposed to care. And we're responsible for what we do with our money. You see, nothing is ours. I told you that last week. Go back to last week's message. Everything we got, we got from God, and He gave it to us to be a steward of, not just to consume it upon our lust, the Bible says. So we need to get good at managing what God has given us, not wasting any of it. And that means we start with making right priorities. Do you know, when you have right priorities, it makes it easy. You say, I find it hard. I'll give you an example, not quite with the money, but with character. If you have the right priority of a godly, if you're, if you're not married, and you want a godly wife. Talk about the guys for a second, Dean. You want a godly wife. You have a right priority. I want to have a Christian home. That's your priority, Dean. Then when some good-looking girl wiggles in front of you and says, Hi, good-looking. And she's got a cigarette hanging out of one hand, and she's got a, a Miller or what's a Murphy's Stout in the other hand. His priority is, it makes it easy for him to say, uh, No hable inglés. <laughs> I don't speak English. And you walk away. Your priority helps you make a decision, doesn't it? Amen. Well, that's true with our money. And so when we have right priorities, it makes it easy for us to say no to buying things, no to getting into debt, no to wasting our money. So you start with God, and you work your way down. Do you know the Bible never says that tithing stopped at the cross? Didn't say, oh, stop your tithing. Never said that. I don't say you're going to go to hell if you don't tithe. But the tithe is a scriptural command from God. As a matter of fact, it comes with one of the strongest blessings in the entire Bible. 
He'll open the windows of heaven. If you just put him first in your finances, why does God need my money? You dummy, God doesn't need your money. He needs you to not need your money. So you set aside 10% of your income. Oh, I'll hold it there for a second. You set aside 10% of your income and you just give it to God. If you made 25 euros this week, let's pretend Brendan got 25 euros rich. How much of that is tithe, Brendan? Can you calculate? The squirrel is going. Not yet. If it's 25 euros, it's 2 euros and 50 cents belongs to God. If that's your priority that, you know, God said tithe, therefore I'm going to tithe. You say, well, I don't feel like tithing. It's right to do. You don't do it because you feel like it or don't feel like it. You pay when you buy your groceries. You pay what they say, amen, because it's right to do. And when God says tithe, you pay two euros and 50 cents, put it in a little envelope, put it in the box, walk away happy. You did what was right. What if you made 300 euros this week? How much is your tithe? Somebody quickly tell me. Tell me. 30 euros. If you receive 1,000 euros this week, <gasps> he's rich, he should pay more. <laughs> no, it's 100 euros. Belongs to God. No matter how much or how little you make, the first 10% of it belongs to God. Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm not looking for your money. Don't you misunderstand me. This church doesn't pay me. I'm just interested in you putting God first. And God says the easiest thing to worship is money. Proverbs chapter 3. Did you know the government takes 20% of your income right from the start? Without you even giving them permission. And you know, if Sinn Féin gets in, it's going to be higher. <laughs> the government takes 20% of your income right from the start and then takes 23% of the price of everything you pay after that. So you got the government's taking money, coming and going. Tell me, who are you allowing to be greater? The government taking your money or God saying give him 10%? See, the government, I'm not allowed to argue with, but boy, well, I will argue with God. Will he? Proverbs 3.9. Proverbs 3.9 says this. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Honor means to put him first. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. So this week I got an increase in 300 euros in my pay. Then I give him the first fruits of it. That's 10%. He gets the first payment. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out, not with old wine, not with alcohol, but with new wine. So let him lead. Let him be in charge of your things, your possessions, and give him the first payment of every pay, pay packet. And God will repay you. So you start with God and you work down. Now that's a great principle because now you can live on 90% better than you could live on the 120%. What do you mean 120%? Ireland's debt, listen to this, in 2006 was 43 billion. 43 billion was the debt that Ireland owed the rest of the world in 2006. It was the second lowest in the Eurozone. By the end of this year, Irish, the Irish government debt is supposed to reach a little above 203 billion. It was just three years ago, actually five years ago, it was at 216 billion euros in debt. What does that mean? Every year right now, the government is bringing in 80 billion euros in taxes to the revenue. 
but that's not enough for them. They're like a spoiled teenager. The government, however, is paying out a billion more per month than it is taking in. That's like me getting paid 30, 300 euros this week, but I pay out 360 euros every week. How long can I do that? Tell me, Weston, if I got 300 euros for the last six years every week and I spent 360 euros, how long can I do that before there are people banging down my door looking for blood? Because I have to keep borrowing to pay for all of that extra money and all those extra things that I want that I can't pay for. And that's our government. So, we're supposed to learn to live on the 90%, and that allows us to be free from all, because before you learn to put God first, you're always going to be struggling with debt. Not unless you've got a rich aunt or uncle or a grandpa who gives you a million euros. By the way, even if you did get a lot of money, if you don't spend it right, you'll be probably in debt, or like I said last week, you could be homeless very quickly because people don't know how to manage money. So the first bill you pay is God, is to God. It's His, and the remainder is what you live on. And there are seven priorities of a, of, of a Christian with their money. Number one, you use your money for the kingdom of God. That is the priority. We read it there in Mark, Matthew 6.33. We won't read it again, but seek ye first the kingdom God. That means make sure there is preaching and teaching of this Bible everywhere. Starting here, make sure this church is, is capable of paying its bills and keeps going. And then we keep sending uh, 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 finances to keep missionaries going and staying on their fields. Our first responsibility is to keep the gospel going into all the world. Second priority is get out of debt. Get out of debt. Go to Psalm 30, 37. Psalm 37, this is our verse we started off with this morning. Psalm 37, 21. Get out of debt. That's good, isn't it? I just made that up. Get out of debt is good. <laughs> I have to remember that. I could sell that. What do you, <clears throat> Psalm 37, 21. We read it first off. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. That's wrong. I won't have you go there for time, but Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. That doesn't mean you can't get into a debt. You're going to have to unless, again, you've got a rich uncle, uh, you're gonna, or you've got a very, uh, a very wealthy business or whatever. You're going to have to get into debt to buy a house. There are, there are proper debts that you manage and that you can pay for. But it, it does mean that if you do ever get into debt, your highest priority is to get out of it. Does that make sense? If you ever borrow money, you, you eat beans on toast until you pay that off. That is the responsibility of the Christian. Why? Why do you have to get out of debt? Because otherwise you're in bondage to a lender and you will pay unbelievable interest rates. It'll be, you get out of debt so that you can invest and make money with your money. Do you know, if you took that money that you're paying to pay off a credit card and you made money with it by investing, you'd have double your money in a few years. That's what you should do with your money. And so that, you know, once you get out of debt, you have money left over to be able to give away when God leads you to. So never use your credit card unless you can pay it right off. Amen. Rule is don't get a credit card until you're 49 years old. That's what I told Sarah, and she's still begging. Third, 
your third, uh, getting out of debt, because it is, it is, it is crippling. Uh, and, and it's crippling uh, Ireland. They don't want to talk about the debt. No government wants to talk about their debt. They just keep going on. As a matter of fact, I think four or five of the political parties are demanding massive expenditures to build the economy. No, they're just going to double the debt and put it off to their grandchildren to pay off, which they won't be able to do. How about your family? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Gentlemen, if you're a dad, if you're a husband, you are supposed to pay for your family's needs, not the government. 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, if you're not taking care of your own family, he has what? You've denied. If you are lazy and you let someone else pay your bills, you're not even a Christian, the Bible says. You've denied the faith and you're worse than a... Wow, infidel is a pretty rough word. Go to verse 16, still in chapter 5, verse 16. If any man or woman that believeth have window, widows, windows, <laughs> have widows, if you're, if you're a family and you have a widow in your family, let them relieve the widows, take care of them, and let not the church be charged with taking care of them, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So there are widows who have family, and the family can take care of them, and there are widows indeed that nobody is there to take care of, and the church takes care of them. Do you see how it works? Family takes care of family. So, that means you're responsible for saving back the money to give to your grandchildren when they get married. That's what you should be doing. It's a terrifying thought every time you think of your kids getting married. But it's you who should be saving for that, and you should because it's your family. Fourth, your church. It's not the government's job to pay the bills of this church, pay for our staff as a body of believers. Did you know in Germany? It is. In Sweden, the government pays for the churches to be open. In Italy, they pay churches. They'll be open. They pay the rector and the, the, the vicar and the, I don't know, the priests. They pay for those churches. In Spain, they pay for the churches to be open, but not in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians 9, 14. First Corinthians 9, 14 says this, Even so hath the Lord ordained, He's commanded that they which preach the gospel, that's me, shall also live the gospel. You know what that means? If I preach living by faith, then I have to live by faith. If I preach to you that we're going to build this church, or we're going to do this thing, then we do it together. We don't do it through government grants and through government programs. First, go back to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Speaking of elders and people who lead the church, they quit their job so they are full-time. Look at what it says. Verse 17, let the elders that rule well, their leaders in the church, be counted worthy of double honor. What does that mean? It's one thing, it's a good thing for you to honor your pastor 
and not talk bad about him. If you've got a problem, come talk to me. But honor him. Uh, pray for him. Encourage him. Tell him that was the best message ever, even if you're lying. <laughs> honor him. My wife hates it when I say stuff like that, but sometimes I think it was the worst message ever. And if somebody says, that was great, I go, thank God, amen. But it says, there's another honor you give them. That's money. Look at what he, he gives you the understanding here in the next verse. Um, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Verse 18, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox. You don't put something on the mouth of the ox that treaded out the corn because the ox is there and he's, he's going around a millstone and he's turning the millstone and the corn is spilling out and you let the ox eat the spillage for strength. But if you muzzle that ox, that ox will grow weary and tired and die for lack of food. And there are, there are too many people who think, oh, pastor, you're fine. Really? You ever asked him? Now, I'm not asking for your money and I'm not, this is not about me getting any payment from you. We have a unique relationship. I started this church. One of these days, there will be somebody behind this pulpit who you are responsible for taking care of, and you need to find out, are you financially okay? You need to make sure that he and his family are paying their bills and able to. You don't muzzle the ox that treaded up the, the corn. Why? Verse 18 says, because the laborer, even in the gospel, is worthy of his reward. So take care of your church. Take care of your pastor. That's a, that's a priority. You say, well, I don't have any money for, for tithing in church. Yes, you do. You just haven't prioritized it. Number five, the poor. First John, go all the way to the right, just for revelation, find First John. We have a responsibility for people who are truly poor. First John 3, 17. First John 3, 17. <clears throat> But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, just shuts them off, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How can you look at somebody and see him in such a state and go, mm, I'm not going to think about it. I don't, I don't want to spend any money on it. We have a responsibility to take care of truly poor people. Sometimes it's hard to choose. You see somebody there, and you know they're going to spend on a drugs order, but the Lord just grips your heart and says, give them something. Even if it's, I'll, I'll take you for lunch or something, but don't just pass by. Christians ought to be the best givers, not the government. Because the government comes the next one. <laughs> they're going to come along, and they are, we have responsibility to pay our taxes. Do you know even Jesus paid his taxes? It's terrible. How come he didn't fight? Pay your taxes. We're responsible for paying for national defense. We are responsible for paying for our services. That means we pay our taxes. I believe in electing people who don't take all the money that they want, but that they reduce our taxes, but that's another thing. And then guess who's last? Anybody want to take a guess? Us. Now, that goes against everything our culture teaches today. It's not that you shouldn't spend any money on yourself, but you're supposed to spend the least on yourself compared to what you spend on the gospel. Can you imagine a husband who buys gaming computers and big plasma screen TVs? I don't know if they make plasma anymore. They're all LCDs. And, and all this stuff, and it gives his wife 50 euros to go spend on a dress or something or shoes or whatever. You see, we, we are so self-centered. And it shows. 
that we only think of buying for ourselves. Really, your priority is everyone else before you. Next thing I need to say is you need to earn your money. If you want to have money to give away, you need to earn it. Did you know there are six ways to get money? Maybe there's seven, but there are six ways to get money. Guess the first one? Charity. Somebody comes along and just gives you money. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you can get an inheritance. Whoopee! I just got a check for 300,000 euros from Aunt Sousa, whatever. It's also thievery. You can rob. There are those of you who find money on the ground or in machines. You ever seen? There are people who, when they, they used to have uh, payphones around everybody, and they'd always go into the payphone and see if there's a leftover coin in there. Anybody like that? I did it. Anyway, there are people who find their money. They go looking in the couch, you know, looking under the car seat. There's also those who work for it. And there's another way to make money, and that is investing your money and having your money make money. But the normal way to make money is to get a job. <laughs> That's terrible, Pastor. I can't look at that. <laughs> Sweat, ache, struggle, wear yourself out doing some hard work. That's how you make money. No shortcuts. As a matter of fact, working hard is the best way to have good health. Guaranteed. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how many people are sick because they don't work. I can't comprehend. I don't care if you're mowing grass. You will be healthier. You're outside. You're sweating. The Bible says we were part of the curse was we were made to sweat now. We have to sweat out all our toxins and stuff. And you come home glad you did a day's work. You got paid for it. You can pay your bills because laziness kills People dead. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3. Go back to the left. 2 Thessalonians. I have a friend who has a business, and I'm sure it's true everywhere. He's in the States. He makes T-shirts and hats, you know, the embroidery hats, and he makes uh, any, anything you can put a logo on or, or words. He does screen printing. He has, for the last three years, run through maybe two, maybe 150 employees. He doesn't have 150 employees, but he works through them because they come, they work for a few hours, and then they don't come back after lunch. They don't want to work. And so he breaks his back trying to keep up and train somebody else who doesn't stay. And I don't think he's out of the ordinary. I think a lot of businesses can't find workers. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, for even when we were with you, this we, what's that next sweet word? I didn't hear you. This we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. I, I, that's end of story. If you don't get a job, your mom ought to say, I don't know you. How'd you get in here? Go to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Now, a lot of people get always the idea, well, what if I can't work? I understand people who can't work, but we're talking about people who are just lazy. Proverbs 13 and verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. You'll always lose it. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase, will always increase their wealth. Ecclesiastes, you're in Proverbs, go to the right, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 12. I love this verse. Because I can tell you it's true. For the most part, when I hit the pillow, my wife wants to talk. And I'm out. <laughs> Are you listening? Are you talking? <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12 says, The sleep of a laboring man, not a wealthy man, not a rich man, but the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep because he's always worried about who's going to steal it, what's the economy going to be like, so on and so forth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, way to the right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You say, well, you, you, you gospel ministers, you don't work at all. You know, you just, you just throw some things on the page and then you yell. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at the life of the Apostle Paul and really anybody who ever does the gospel ministry. 1 Corinthians 4.11 says this. I can get there. Paul is describing his own life. He says, even unto this present hour, we both hunger, we do without, and we thirst, and are naked, we don't have all the clothes that everybody else has, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. We don't have a place that we stay. Verse 12, and we what? Labor, working with our own hands. You say, shouldn't you be in line for... for um, uh, for, the, for the doll? Shouldn't you be in line for an entitlement? No, I've got to be busy working with my own hands. First Thessalonians, you don't, go, don't need to go there. Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11 says, and that she, he says, you ought to study to be quiet and quit complaining, to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That's a Christian. If you're not working, you're not right with God. If you're not working... You say, well, I can't find work. Well, you may not be able to find a job, but you can work. Come on down to the office. Eric and I will put you to work. <laughs> there are things, I mean, we're, and, and really, if there's nothing to do with the office, I can put you in the van and we can go help somebody who needs their hedges cut, their lawns mowed. There is work to do. And if you can't find a job, work, because I guarantee you, people who work get a job. But people who just sit on their Todd. The odds are against you, man. So, if you're going to earn money, work a job. But that flips on, you're going to have to learn contentment. If you want to have money to be able to give away on a need, somebody has a need, or there's a missionary like we have tonight, and where you don't fight with your wallet, oh, do I put the 10 in or the 5? The 10 or the 5? The 10? <laughs> if you want to be able to give, you're going to have to learn to be content with the things that you have. Because if you never learn to be content, you will dig yourself ever deeper into slavery of debt. We're commanded to be content with the things that we have. Philippians chapter 4. Go to the right, find Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Down to verse 13, Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want. Paul's not asking for anything. He says, I'm not talking about things that I want. For I have, and it's something you have to learn. You're just not, oh, I get it, Pastor. No, it takes a while for it to take hold. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be what? 
content. Every man's going, yeah, wife, are you listening? Yeah, yeah. Men have the same problem. I, Paul says, know how to be abased, that means brought low, and I know how to abound and have everything. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to always be full and at the same time still hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Why? Verse 13 now is our key verse that says, because I can do all things. Whatever God asks me to do, I can do it through Christ with strength. So you can skip the five and the tenor and give the 20 that was hiding in your wallet. Because you can do it through Christ, which, which strengthens you. Do you see how that works? I caught you. I snuck that in. Contentment. First Timothy, you're in Philippians, go to the right, go and find First Timothy, chapter 6. First Timothy, chapter 6, and verse 6. Some of the newer Bibles has it reversed, that gain is godliness. You better read your King James here, look what it says. But godliness with contentment, now that is what? That's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, verse 7, and it is certain that we, carry, that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment. You say, well, I haven't gotten a new outfit in five weeks. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Because, verse 9, they that will be rich, they fall in temptation and a trap, a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Uh-oh, verse 10, for money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? No, it's not money's the problem. It's the love of it. The love of money is the root of all the evil that goes on in our world, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Hey, I got a statement for you. King David had a problem with contentment. He got seven wives. Mm, that's stupid. But his son went a little bit further. Solomon never, ever learned contentment. He had to have 700 wives. He wrote one of the saddest books in the entire Bible, the book Ecclesiastes, and he said, everything I have is stupid. It's vain. It's empty. I got no joy out of it. And he's looking at a line of 700 women looking at him. You better learn contentment. It's rare to find a contented person, but that is our calling. I'm going to try to wrap this up quickly. Make a budget and live by it. Would you agree that governments need budgets or else they just spend uncontrollably? But so do the people of a nation need, need budgets. What does a Christian budget look like? Let me tell you what a budget is. A budget is an agreed-upon limit that you make on what you will spend on things. How much are you going to spend on coffee during the week? Well, that's hard. Because I like to buy coffee, man. You know, the water at the office just tastes different, doesn't it, Johnny, man? So we're tempted. Let's, let's go to Starbucks or whatever. And then we look at each other and we reach in our pocket. Our wives didn't give us any money. Let's, let's endure the, the water. <laughs> and you decide on how much you're going to spend on coffee. And then you only spend that much and no more. You decide how much you're going to spend on clothes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Look, I got six outfits. <laughs> yes, yeah, six outfits. How much are you going to spend on groceries? 
You know, I think Lidl's is a godsend, amen? Aldi's is a gift from God. Can you imagine if you still having to buy at 10-year-ago prices at super value? Honestly, we go to super value for some things, but is the price difference between Lidl's and super value, super value is astronomical, isn't it? And it is a gift from God. We can save on groceries. And when you limit yourself, that gives you money to give. Not just more money to spend. Uh-oh. But you can save back so that you have money to give. How much are you going to spend on movies? How much are you going to spend on eating out? You decide how much you're going to spend on birthdays and on toys. Oh, it's your ninth birthday. Well, we got to do better last year. We spent 350 euros last year on a nine-year-old. I think a 19-year-old shouldn't get 350 euros worth of a birthday. How much are you going to spend on holidays? How much? It is a method of keeping you from wasting your money so that you have something to invest in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Because if God is not part of your plan, the devil is. Amen. You are honoring, by not honoring God, by default, you are honoring the God of this world. So, keep track of what you spend every day for a month. Write it all down. You'd be shocked at how much you spend on things that you go, we got to stop that. If you added up all of the money you spend on entertainment, all of the things, all the money that you spend on stupid things, and, 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 and on your phone, how many plans do you have? Well, I have, a, I have an international plan in case I go to America. And it just keeps tacking on every month and you don't need it. Do you know you can turn those things off and save the money? Do you know that? Write down all that you spend for a month and then adjust your spending so that you haven't spent all your money. That sounds weird, doesn't it? That's complicated, Pastor. Yeah. Look at the amount that you spend and then adjust it so that you have money at the end of the month. What am I going to do with the money? Invest it. Invest it in the kingdom of God. Put God first. Put souls first. Was your soul worth Jesus Christ dying for? Yes. He said it was. I don't think so. <laughs> but he said our soul was worth more than the world. I don't think the value of the soul has changed. Do you agree? What, will, what, is, it, what is it stopping us? Next month we're going to talk about this. Big time. The worth of a soul. Well, we're never going to have money to invest in new missionaries. We've had eight missionaries for quite a while. Amen? We haven't given them a raise ever. I'd like to give them a raise. I'd like to take on a few more. But I'm not going to do it with money that's not there. So let's ask God for a burden. That, Lord, help me to tighten up my budget so that I have some money to give away. Why? I've already thrown it. I've given you the answers so that you have money left over. You budget so that you have money left over so that you can save money, so that you have money to give away so that souls hear the gospel. You know, a Bible-leaving church like ours costs money. It does. To have a nice dry place. We're not meeting outside. We're, we're not... Can you imagine if we all fit in Celine's house? And then went from Celine's house to Weston's house the next week. And then went from Weston's house to Tony's and Dina's house the next week. And I think I would have lost all of you by week two. It's nice to be together, amen? It's nice to have some place that's clean and big and bright. It costs money. So that we can hold Bible clubs. We have a Bible club coming up that is going to be... When I show you next week the picture of what Hannes has magically created for our 
Bible club, and we're going to use it in the parade. But you know, it costs money. He's, he's actually hand-built, and it's gone at his expense, and we need to come up with some money to pay him back. It is a dream come true, because when we go through the parade, I don't care what else is there. A couple years back, there were 700 Elsas. But when we come through, they will never forget us. They have never forgotten our whale. They have, listen, we do these things so they go, there's a church in town. <laughs> They're a little strange, but they love kids. They, they have Sunday school. They, they, they love getting the gospel out. And wow, they're here. And we, it just establishes us as a gospel lighthouse here. But it costs money. You know, I have a dream. I mean, you guys have heard me say it. I have a dream that one day we'd have our own Christian school. You're going to wish we had it last year. I don't know how to do it unless we get together, we get organized, get some more people, we get things planned. But if we're always living from hand to mouth, if we're always living from week to week, and we have no extra money, we will sit as we are and we'll lose our kids into the system. And some of them survive, but most of them don't. Jesus said we need to invest our treasures where? In heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven. That's the only way you do this by giving money away. You do not invest treasure in heaven by investing in the stock market. No, you have to invest in people who never pay you back. <laughs> Missionaries will never come and say, oh, I owe you. No, no, no. You do it for the Lord. You give it unto the Lord, and the Lord says, store that away. That'll be waiting for you when you come up here. And we do this so that we can experience the greatest joy of giving that is greater than receiving. And it'll be, as I said, for our local church to be here and stay here. Now, I said this, and I'll make it very clear. Some of you don't know this. Some of you do. For 25 years, I've never been paid. Now, the way that happens is I am a missionary. Churches in America pay me, sometimes up here, sometimes not so much. But they pay me to be here, and I do this for free so that you get the gospel, so that Balancholic gets the gospel so that a church is established. But if I disappear, how are you going to afford another? You can ask America to send another missionary, but that's not what you should do. You should take care of your own, amen? That is your responsibility. How are you going to do that if you're not ready to do it? Hmm. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Go there, and this is our last verse, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. Paul was just like that with the church at Corinth. He didn't take a penny from them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. Verse 7. Have I offended you, is what he's saying? Have I committed an offense in abasing myself, humbling myself that ye might be exalted? I put you first, because I have preached unto you the gospel of God. How? I didn't come in and then say, all right, each one of my messages costs about 300 euros, so divide it up and each one of you make, make sure you pay me. He didn't charge anything for preaching. Verse 8, I robbed other churches, what a way to talk, taking wages of them so I could do you service. And when I was present with you, and there were times where I wanted, I lacked, I was chargeable to no man. I didn't come and ask and say, you owe me. For that which was lacking to me, 
The brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. I had somebody, God always brought somebody to supply my need. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself, he says. And I enjoy it. Never going to change. And that's a good thing. That's how you start churches. But a church does need to get to the place the body believers need to say, you know, we, we need to make sure this thing keeps going. Lastly, why do all this? You do all this so that you can wisely manage your money so that you can be free from the bondage of debt and covetous, and you have money for the kingdom of God. So, here's the conclusion. Number one, where is God in your spending? Where is God in all the rest of your life? See, the spending is just an indicator of whether God's even in the life. Your spending habits will often reveal who your God truly is. It's either, either your God is yourself that you're trying to keep happy, or it's all your lenders and creditors that you're trying to keep happy, or your God is the Lord Jesus Christ that you're trying to please. I read somewhere where you cannot serve more than one master. We are stewards, aren't we, of the kingdom of God, what God has given us to do. If you do not master your spending, the devil will. Make the gospel part of your budget so that the devil doesn't use it for his kingdom anymore. I always think, you know, and I never drank, I never smoked, okay? I did other things with my money that I've now turned into. And literally, I, I, I value the, 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 the second chance that I've gotten since getting saved. I should be dead. So the life that I live now, whatever I spend on the devil, I spend on God. I spend on missionaries. I personally, I and my wife spend money that we don't, I, we already tithe here, we already give money here, but we personally support more missionaries. I have an amount of money that I used to waste that for, on me that now I waste on Jesus. Just like the woman who broke up in her alabaster box and Judas said, what a waste. No, no, it's not. And, and so, whatever you used to spend on drink, wouldn't that be wonderful if you gave it to missions? Wouldn't it be good if you, if you never complained one second about tithing when you never had a qualm with plopping down 100 euros on a Friday night? Amen. Because the only thing in life that is free is salvation. Think about it. But it cost God everything to be able to give it to you. If you want something for free, take Jesus. Romans, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is always, think about it, religion, guilt, shame, damnation, our sin gave us all these things. But God gives eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Jesus paid for it with his life so that you can be forgiven. All you got to do is accept it, believe it, trust it. I guess it's true. I believe it. And you have it. Isn't that cool? Would you stand with me? Bow your heads. Imagine for a moment it's all over. We're standing before God, and the Lord says, Bring out the wallets, bring out the purses. Did anybody put me first there? I think we'd all be very embarrassed. We usually put ourselves first. We never really thought about our finances, never thought about being good stewards of the things that God gives us. Wouldn't it be interesting if 
they who didn't work got jobs and started tithing. Wouldn't it be great if they who had jobs started tithing and giving to missions and, and putting God for... What could we do? And I'm not talking about having a thousand people. I'm talking about us doing it. What could we do if we all just had a heart that's not addicted to our money? Father, we love you and I bow before you knowing that money is that one subject that we fight the most because we have so little control over it. And we're afraid of actually changing the way we've gotten used to being. We're used to going from week to week. We're used to going down to the credit union. We're used to managing debt. And, but we never tithe. We never have money for missions. We never, when you lay somebody on the heart, we never have money to be able to be a blessing. We're broken. And that's not right. God, uh, we're not trying to put burdens and, oh, i got to give so much. No, no, no. You made it very simple. Get to the place where we have something to give. Because Jesus, I think you're worth it. We're not giving to people. We're giving as unto the Lord. And it's all because you first gave. We're just trying to be like you. And I think that's okay. But in the big scheme of things, I can't forget the fact that in your giving, you gave not money, you gave your precious blood. You redeemed us not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, that cost you your life. We're supposed to be living sacrifices, but we're trying to be like you, God. But maybe there's somebody in this room who's never received the gift of God, which is eternal life. All they got to do is ask for it. All they got to do is believe with all their heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody got saved this morning? Because money's not the issue, the heart is. And Jesus, when you get the heart, you get the whole person. So if your heart does not belong to the Lord Jesus this morning, why don't you give up and say, you win, Jesus. I don't understand about money, but I understand sin, and I'm wallowing in it. I'm drowning in it. I'd like to be made free. And dear Christian, if you have been made free from sin, why don't you say, Lord, make me free from debt and from worry and from, from brokenness, brokenness, I want to be able to be a giver from now on. In Jesus' name, amen.